Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc. I'm Pete Wright. I'm here with Howard Tybel. Hey, Pete. Great to see you again. Well, you know, at this time, we're, we're really faking it. We are still in Seattle. Darn it. You weren't supposed to tell the no, truth. No, I pulled back I pulled back the velvet curtain here. It's, oh. This is a wonderful opportunity we have to You'd... record all these episodes <laughs> together. I'm not going to lie to the people, Howard. Don't make me lie to the people. All right, fine. Uh, and we are here with a very, very special guest. And I'm, I'm, I just want you to be ready because I'm about to butcher a name. <laughs> Amir Raname Azar. Very good, Pete. Was that okay? That was excellent. Very, I've been, I've very actually nicely been, done. For the past five minutes we've been talking, I've been practicing that in my head, <laughs> hoping that I wouldn't completely destroy my well, reputation no, as a you polyglot. Did, you did great. You Thank did you great. very Thank much. Thank you very much. Uh, Amir, is the, uh, you are the uh, Chief Financial Officer, Vice President, uh, from Carnegie Mellon University, Go Tartans. Correct. Uh, I, can I tell you my favorite story from Carnegie Mellon? I think we're going to hear it no matter what. Go yeah, no, well, that's true. Okay, it's already out there. Yeah, yeah. Bill Cosby gave him a Scotty dog. Bill Cosby. That's their first live mascot ever. Bill Cosby gave Carnegie Mellon a Scotty dog. I gave him a dog at graduation. Is that a great story? Bill Cosby. I had no idea. Yeah, Scotty dog. Did anybody else know that? Possibly my favorite dog. A Scotty dog. Yeah. It's on the Carnegie Mellon website. I, I, Everybody knows it. It's apparently you were the last guy who didn't know this. <laughs> Look over here. Amir, did you I, know I, this? I, Tell I, me you I, knew this. I, I uh, cannot confirm nor deny it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> oh. I am new, so I can't. I, mean, oh. I, I don't want to say I knew that. I, I have to not being actually, I have to admit, <laughs> I sort of expected so. you showing up wearing something tartan. <laughs> I, I'm a little disappointed. Well, in that. We have much, we'll work on that. <laughs> yes, we have, we have much bigger issues to talk about today. I'm very excited for you to be here. You uh, uh, were one of the gracious uh, uh, guest interviewees for uh, this article that Howard and Gail wrote uh, some time ago um, uh, with Clarity for All, which you can find on Tybalink.com and links back to uh, Nakubo's website. website. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a great article, and you shared some really wonderful insights. Um, I, you know, I, rather than me getting all muddied up in, in some of the details, I wonder, Howard, if you could set up this conversation uh, around um, you know, what, uh, what we need to learn from Amir and his what work at Carnegie Mellon. And what attracted me to a conversation. Uh, so, so Amir uh, was introduced to me through Nakubo uh, after actually talking to their board chair who was raving about uh, their new chief business officer. Uh, and at that time, when I was talking to Jim, you were even newer. And uh, when I finally had the opportunity to talk to Amir, what was, what was really telling for me that I think is a critical thing to see more and more of, and I'm seeing more and more of, is the fact that you, Amir, uh, recognize that the way you're going to make the change happen is by doing more listening than telling people what to do. I mean, you step in there, and everybody knows it's important to listen initially, but I think that between what you shared with me in your dissertation and the, the mindset that you brought to, I'm going to go out there and find out what people are concerned about, what they're looking to do, and I'm going to start there versus coming in here and focusing on all of our problems that we're supposed to fix. Uh, and I was very inspired by that, and I think it's something that all of us need to be paying attention to is how do we get buy-in from broad constituencies in a way so that the ideas and the change are their ideas. And I think in many ways, uh, this is what you've been doing. So, so we wanted to bring you on the show to talk more about sort of that mindset and, and some of the things you've done that you, that you found successful. Sure. 
That sounds great. So Carnegie Mellon is, uh, you know, uh, quite a quite an impressive institution with a rich history. Uh, relatively young compared to some of our peers and aspirational peers, uh, but there is a level of energy at our institution that is quite impressive and palpable. I mean, there uh, we're again relatively small, if you will. Um, uh, we have about 5,500 employees, about 12, 13,000 students, six colleges. Um, and so we're, we're fairly small, but, but there is a level of entrepreneurship uh, that is um, present at our university. And it's really at every level, from, from our administrative uh, staff to our deans and department heads to the faculty. And um, we're really a university, uh, I think, and I think this, this aspect is fairly well known, that really uh, punches above its, its weight uh, in many ways. And so as I've come on board at this great institution, you know, I really uh, came in with the sense that there is something to be learned here for me. I haven't come from uh, other large, well-known institutions at University of Southern California and subsequently at Georgia Tech. Um, Carnegie Mellon is uniquely, I think, uh, positioned uh, in that it's not uh, in in a large metropolitan area like some of the other universities that I've uh, worked at, and so you know, in Pittsburgh is a is a great city, um, but it is in Los Angeles, and it is in Atlanta, and it isn't uh, some of these other uh, like Boston. Um, where we have uh, MIT and, and some of these other universities. So it um, it's really has to uh, find its way to, um, to create the synergies that you, you, you'd need to have to, to run a successful university. Um, so, and that's been really quite eye-opening to see how um, faculty and the department heads and the, and the deans kind of operate to seek the opportunities that they need to seek in order to um, grow the pie, if you will, right? So Carnegie Mellon, uh, for instance, we need to create, we've been working on creating the ecosystems, right? So how do you, how do you take research, for example, uh, from what happens in the laboratory to um, uh, deployment and prototyping and ultimately to the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And creating those ecosystems has been um, really the strength of the university. So how do you enable the entrepreneurs in the laboratory to take their product to the marketplace? I think in the last year, there were 600 spinoffs out of the university. So that that's really takes a, an, a, an incredible amount of dedication and, and uh, business prowess, if you will, that, that, that doesn't really come to fruition because of a CFO. It really is, an, is a culture. So what has uh, the, tra what, what the, tra the transition been like for you? As you've gotten to know it and involve others, say a little bit about um, what's been happening since you got there in, in that transition. Yeah, and just a little context. Yeah. You started uh, in your role in May of 2013? In July. In oh, July. So July. we're yeah. really, oh, this is your happy birthday. This right. is your anniversary. This, right. this is your anniversary. That is correct. You're no longer, it's no longer honeymoon. That's, That's right. right. We're, right. we're That's taking right. your first year victory lap here. So That's I, right. I, I really think this is great, especially in the context, Howard, you just spent the Saturday doing a new business officer's workshop. You know, yes. I mean, here we have sort of a case study. That's great. Uh, what? Tell us a little bit about your journey here. Okay. So the first year as um, as you might expect, it's a, it's a lot of listening, right? Uh, uh, connecting with various constituents across campus, uh, faculty, staff, students, 
uh, your peers, um, uh, community, if you will, and really uh, spending time to learn about the institution and what goes on and what makes uh, folks tick and what, uh, how we conduct business. But in that first year, I've also paid attention to my own organizations, the Division of Finance. Um, I've uh, pulled together my staff, uh, actually dating back in November, where we had the president uh, come and kick us off on a strategic planning process. So we went through this process of appreciative inquiry, right? So as a newcomer, as you step in, uh, you, you oftentimes hear about the SWOT analysis, where you kind of come in and, and, and there are two dimensions in there, weaknesses and threats. And that sometimes has this negative connotation to it, which it tends to demoralize people because you kind of, uh, there's, a, there's a potential that you could really spend a lot of time about how things are horrible. Exactly. Uh, and, and, exactly. and how the sky is, uh, is falling. And through an, a process like an appreciative inquiry, you really are focusing more on strengths and opportunities. So embedded in that is a recognition of uh, what, what may, be, may not be working well. But you don't focus on that. You focus on the fixes. Um, so we went through that process as a division. And we sort of uh, created our own sense of mission and values. Uh, and we focused on uh, basically uh, coming up with a vision for the division and also five goals. So the five goals are committing to excellence. Uh, another has to do with engaging, partnering, and collaborating with the rest of the campus. Uh, uh, the third goal uh, has to do with empowering decision-making with data. And the fourth, uh, with cult cultivating, recognizing, rewarding our people within our division. And the fifth has to do with the sh uh, shaping a culture of innovation. So we really, that particularly that last goal is a key goal because we wanted to apply the same vigor and imagination to our administrative and business processes as the faculty do in the laboratory. And without doing that, we felt like we couldn't really be doing justice for this university uh, we're positioned to serve. So with each of these goals, we have a number of strategies, mm -hmm. and I'm happy to talk more about any of them uh, if you like. Uh, but the strategies then are what we hope will position us well to identify projects um, and um, then, then execute on those projects through project teams. So we're taking a very coordinated, uh, purposeful approach uh, to, to uh, uh, adding capacity from an administrative st standpoint. And, and learning how to tell the story together about where we're going and why we're going there. Because what I found in our work is that once you move beyond the vice presidents and then the directors and the division heads and the associate vice presidents and the people who are actually out there day to day doing the work, it's very easy for them to lose sight of the mission and the vision. And I think what sounds like what you've done is you have said, let's bring everybody into this so that this is a shared vision. I'm curious about for those who you show up, you start this process, what was it like for people across your organization to be invited into this process? I would imagine it was a yeah. spectrum of reactions. Had, had they seen this before? Had they done this before? No, it didn't, it didn't appear to me that they, they had. And that was, um, I've had my own staff, my direct report, come to me and tell me um, that they were basically very impressed with how this process 
opened up their staff and re, in, in many ways invigorated them. Yes. They had the ability to now um, play a part in charting the future of our division and ultimately of the university. Look at this morning through these sessions at Nakubo, um, we've heard a lot about things that are no longer a secret, right? Funding resources are flat or declining and costs are rising, right? right. Um, so how does a university now position uh, itself for success for the future. And there's no one, there's no silver bullet. There's no one size fits all template that's gonna do it. You really need to do an inward look. You know, you really need to understand where you are first, craft a vision, and, and, and really put a plan together and how you're gonna get from here to there. It's not gonna be accidental. Right, it's not going to be organic. Those days are over if they ever existed. Mm. Um, and so, it really what that does to me, Howard, um, is really drives home the point that um, you know the the place of the business officer now takes a more heightened importance in the organization, right? So the president is out there, he has an outward sort of perspective, and then the CFO is there basically with the provost, right, in a partnership role advancing uh, the university. But this is what's so unique anymore. I think, you know, um, those roles and responsibilities need to be um, fleshed out understood and executed in, the, in, in light of the vision and the goals of the university, right? So if you don't have that, that vision, if you don't know where you're headed, if you don't know where your priorities are, then the provost and CFO can't be performing yes. in a complementary fashion. Yes. What we'll do is we'll each off, uh, you know, I, I may be, you know, putting my finger on things where I don't need to put my fingers in, like academic decisions and whether we need to teach this discipline or that discipline. And the provost could be talking about whether it's important to make a real estate investment here versus doing something there with the endowment. And you really won't be an effective organization unless you know what your priorities are what are your strategies and what are your goals? And then each person, each person in the organization needs to understand their roles and responsibilities and execute on that. It's, so, a, it's such a fascinating thing. Two things now strike me. Uh, a, what a fascinating twist that Carnegie Mellon happens to be in this class of institutions where the traditional thinking is kind of reversed, where the administration is taking entrepreneurial lessons from faculty that are spinning off organizations, right? right. Typically, it's the administration trying to say, hey, we need you to be a little bit more entrepreneurial. You know, how can we make your academic program more robust and richer and that sort of a thing? And, and Carnegie Mellon sort of has that already. It's a huge benefit that you have a functioning model to, to learn from. Um, but, but this other piece that, that I think uh, is, I'd, I'd like to hear from you is, uh, you know, I think a lot of business officers are still uh, dancing a bit delicately around this issue of this new model of leadership, wouldn't you say? That, totally. that being able to engage in that conversation with the academic side of the house and doing so without upending the apple cart, so to speak, um, it, it's, it's a new skill. Uh, how did you go about um, sort of cultivating that relationship? Well, you know, I think um, I think just uh, generally speaking, there's always a bit of a siloed nature to, to institutions, right? And there's sometimes a lack of transparency, sometimes a lack of trust, sometimes a little uh, uh, a little bit of us versus them. Generally speaking, just in sure. So, 
So this is a cultural issue, I think. You know, it's and that, uh, some oftentimes what um, may uh, elude us as business officers is the the understanding of. You know that things aren't always black and white. Um, they're they're not ever in absolute terms. That there's this gray area, and the gray area has to do with culture and you know and understanding human interaction, and the partnership and the communication. The soft skills sometimes elude us. So, you know, just getting out there uh, and having lunch with a faculty member. Um, or, or uh, reaching out and just showing up in their offices uh, every once in a while. Um, uh, there's a faculty member in our Department of Philosophy that I just pop into to his office every so often and just have a conversation. Um, you know, running across them at the, we don't have a faculty center, but we do have a dining facility where faculty, you know, just uh, pulling aside and having a conversation with them on whatever may be the matter at hand. Uh, engaging with the faculty senate, actually attending their meetings, you know, talking to the president of the faculty senate. We have a, a budget and finance subcommittee of the faculty center. I've, I've been to their meetings. So, you know, just not being afraid to be out there and discussing the business of the university. Faculty shouldn't be succeeding in spite of the administration, right? They should be succeeding in in partnership with the administration. And it's no easy task, to be perfectly honest with you. There's always, you know, people do think about uh, what what's really in it for them? What is the agenda here? How, is this a way really to hold them back or to tell them no? And this stuff uh, you you have to overcome by building relationships and throwing yourself out there. And that's what well, I've done the last. You share year. with me, I think, during the development of the article, is that you know you are open to a faculty member coming to you with the business model for a new initiative. Yeah. But there's a certain kind of accountability and dialogue, right? right? So I think what you're doing is, it sounds to me like, is that you are saying, I am open to ideas. But sure. just know that you, I have a role to play just like you do too. Let me right. tell you what I want to hear that will help me. What do you need from me? And you're coming into the conversation, which is to them starting with, how, what are you looking to do? Versus, you can't do this. And I actually think that probably it's more prevalent, this mindset, uh, than what you're bringing in. I think the more we talk about it, it's that appreciative inquiry, this idea of not focusing on what we're not doing, right. but focusing on what will really move the conversations forward. And what I hear you saying that you do is that you're finding ways, like you have an open door. And not right. just an open door, you go on their turf. And I can tell you, of anything that is appreciated by faculty is knowing that you get out, there's this perception of administrators living in an ivory tower. And that's an old perspective, right? What you're doing is you're sort of breaking that perspective, saying, I'm interested in what you're about. And only then will they step forward and say, all right, maybe I'll think about you as a partner. Right. And that, that goes such a long way. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about... Um Sort of, uh, and uh, what we've done here, and and some of the ideals and aspirations uh, mixed in. The reality is, it isn't always this easy no. or this smooth, right? There Correct. is there is skepticism, there is pushback, there um, is cultural mistrust. There's cultural right? mistrust, and it's not you can pluck me out of the equation and take any number of other business officers that are attending this conference and put them there, and that still will remain. Right, but I think it's there's a what, difference. what between, you do. It's what you so, do about yeah. it, but it's also, there's a difference between skepticism and cynicism. And True, I actually yeah. think that skepticism isn't a dirty word. 
Right. You know, I think that we, we don't make the distinction between resistors, people who resist, who really have no interest in seeing positive change happen, and people who resist because they are committed to the right thing, but because of their style, we often push them aside. So I think that what, what you're doing is you're inviting people who, in many cases, have every right and should be skeptical right. about a change. And to me, that all that does is it raises the bar, right? If they're skeptical about, well, how are you going to do this? It puts you in a position to say, well, let me tell you how, what we can do and what we can't do and how we'd fund it right. and what I need from you to know that I can support you financially to do these things and move towards more of a responsibility-centered management approach where we're giving more autonomy, autonomy and authority to departments to be able to run their own budgets. Right. right. It's, it's a sea change, but it's slow right. in some cases. No, that's a- absolutely right. And I think, you know, um, for every, like every other university, for every dollar we have, we have at least 10 uses, right? right. So how do you put every dollar to highest and best use? So in this new paradigm of uh, very tight resources, um, how, do you, how do you ensure that your investments are the smartest investments they could ever be. And you cannot do that in a vacuum. And, and, and everybody in the organization needs to be reasonable about it, right? So, but, but it's that process of strategic planning, manifesting priorities. And I think there's a place for everyone in the organization. I'm, I'm not talking about such an exact plan that only you know, satisfies a subgroup of the university and therefore you're no longer able to, to, to kind of get broad support. But you can say, just throwing this out there, enhance the undergraduate student experience on campus. Everybody can find something to do, <laughs> right. uh, but at least it's important and, and, uh, to the whole university, and everybody can understand that that is an area of uh, focus for us as an institution. As a versus, strategic initiative. As a strategic initiative versus, um, you know, I don't know, more parking on campus or whatever it, right. it, it ends up being. So, so I cannot overemphasize that the importance of uh, manifesting priorities that everybody can kind of understand, articulate, and work towards. And every dollar that you would do in some way should touch those dimensions. That's fantastic. Yeah. So here's a question I have for you. Yeah. You just got through your first year, right? Right. What are you looking, what are you looking forward to in, this, in year two for, at Carnegie Mellon? So we've done this uh, strategic plan for my division. So uh, we're now in, a, uh, in the process of um, uh, uh, developing project teams and projects to execute uh, against this plan in the next year or so. I think concurrent with that, uh, our president is in the process of um, uh, discussing and working with other constituents on campus and developing a plan for the university. So I want to be a part of, obviously, a part of development of that plan because as a CFO, ultimately, uh, I will have a role to ensure that the resources we have follow that plan and not the other way around, right? Right. (laughs) So... um, so that's what I hope. Uh, that's what I hope to do. And then there's always the stuff. I mean, you got to keep the trains running, right? So we've talked about the famous Drucker quote, right? Management is doing things right, and leadership is doing the right things. Mm-hmm. And so I hope to have the right split uh, for us to um, support the initiatives that are developing 
as we speak for the university. Uh, but also at the same time, you've got to do, got to pay people, right? You got to, you got to uh, do the operational stuff um, and keep the trains running. So that's that's basically um, the priority. And then, and again, as I said, really focusing on uh, the number of strategies we've developed as part of a strategic plan. Fantastic. It is. It's it's a uh, it's a wonderful model, and uh, I, I sure appreciate you joining us for this show today to share a little bit about your strategy. Okay, tell me, uh, just as we wrap up here, give me uh, uh, the top couple of things you've learned after your experience here at Nakubo. Anything you're taking away for your next year? Wow, that's a great question. I think, um, particularly having sat through some of the uh, uh, sessions, uh, I think we're all sort of in the same boat here. I'm trying to leave you with something that's uh, encouraging and inspirational. Uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's to easy to be through. a little bit dour. It's, it's, and, uh, it is uh, a little bit. I think, you know, what's, what's really, um, you know, the average tenure of a university president is, I think, what, seven years or something like that is what we hear. And I think what I'm really realizing is that, um, our management and leadership of, of these great institutions uh, probably need, needs to change in some fundamental ways. As a new president or a new uh, administrator comes on board, it takes them a year or two to figure out where the light switches are. Mm -hmm. And by the time you develop a plan and you execute, I think you need to have a much longer term tenure to see some of these plans come to fruition because it takes that level of dedication and engagement with the campus uh, to to kind of um, um, get get things rolling, and I, I'm not sure if this five to seven years is enough. I think long, longer commitments needs to be made because we're very decentralized, and people are basically uh, off in many ways doing their own things, and we do have a little bit of free agency going on, and um, and people move around a bit, and I and I think it just doesn't lend uh, some some aspects of our. Um, industry doesn't lend itself, um, don't lend this, themselves to um, an efficient or effective operation at times. So it's a bit of a challenge, and I, I'm not sure quite how to overcome it uh, or the formula to overcome it is other than to say, hey, you gotta, you got to manifest those priorities and, and yeah, get and, everybody behind that. And, and you juxtapose that with in the next three to five years, there's going to be a significant turnover of really long-standing CFOs turning over leadership to the next generation. And I think that's going to have also the kind of impact where that insight about, you know, only in the beginning of your second year do you begin to get yourself comfortable with right. being able to navigate the changes. So I think this is part of the dilemma in higher ed is because of the decentralized nature, as you said, it is very hard to actually affect the change in a short period of time, whether it's for the president whether it's for the provost. And there's some realities about the demands of this job. And after seven years, you know, you can sort of understand why somebody would step off and say, you know what, I did what I could. So that's the, that's the challenge. And how do you make those tough decisions? I mean, we've, we've talked about sunsetting things in higher ed. I mean, those right. are generally highly politically charged actions. Right. So doing program review and deciding what is it you are not going to do because you can no longer just keep adding, right? We, we have to figure out what is it we're no longer going to do. And as a new president or even a new CFO, how are you going to step in and come up with your laundry list of things where you don't think um, value is being added? So 
it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult to, and this is this is what we talked about earlier. Is uh, it's really difficult to to introduce these industry practices and in, uh, in like private industry practices into a higher ed setting um, because of the political aspects of it. Well, I got a feeling we're going to see you counting me on for a while, right? Well, that's the plan. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. That's is fantastic. Amir uh, Ranami Azar. Very good. Yes. I, twice in twice. a row. Yeah, I'm great, not. You right? know, yeah, because you know, you, you got <laughs> hey, it. You got no, it down. I've but heard you. Try when to I'm do talking, it. you're practicing. Pra- I'm it's watching exactly your lips right. move yeah, quietly. I, <laughs> I know what you're doing. Well, you did great with my name, but can I leave you with one thought? Oh, please. It's actually Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie Mellon. Yes. Man. Yeah, you should. It's because that. I was too focused on the name. <laughs> That's right. I, you got distracted by the. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I I need to come visit, obviously. Yes, and, please do. And pet the Scotty. And next time we meet, you should be wearing tartan. I will be. I will be. I promise. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us today and representing the university so well. Thank you. Uh, and uh, gosh, you want to find out more about this show? Do we have any more to say about the people to the people? No, I think that We're everything's good. been said. We're, this has been great. Hey, it, is, it has been I'm, great. I, I don't want to cut you, you off if you have news. I got no news. Okay, we, uh, this has been a fantastic. Being here with, with Amir and being at Nakubo has been inspiring, and that's what I, that's what I'm. I, I love the fact that you brought that language and even appreciative inquiry into this. Thank you. You don't often hear this from a business. No, officer. No, you don't. Yeah, this is the new Very, business officer. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, you can find out more about the show at tybalink.com. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast for free in iTunes. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. Uh, we would love you to reach out to us on Twitter. You can find Howard at Howard Tybal, and uh, he's got that, uh, that phone on him all the time. He's just waiting for it to buzz. Uh, and uh, you can reach out to me, too, at Pete Wright. Uh, we would love to hear your show ideas and, uh, and questions and comments anytime. Uh, on behalf of Amir Raname Azar from Carnegie Mellon, and That's Howard nice. Tybel, thank you. It's Tebel. No, it's really Tybel. <laughs> I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tebel Inc. <laughs>